You're listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast, where we believe that every teacher deserves a coach, and every coach does too. I'm Chrissy Beltran, an instructional coach, resource creator, and coffee enthusiast. And I'm your host. Stay tuned for practical tips and honest coaching talk that will help you coach with confidence. Hey, coaches, and welcome to episode 91 of Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. I am super excited about this last episode in February because this whole month we've been chatting about all matters of the heart. We've talked about self-care and boundaries and all the feelings that coaches have. And today I have a wonderful guest, uh, Haley O'Connor of Teaching with Haley, and she's going to help us think through and understand SEL from a teacher perspective. And that's going to really help us understand how we can be supportive as coaches in terms of SEL for teachers in their classrooms and SEL for teachers as human beings. Coaches, we spend so much time trying to give to our teachers. It's time to do something for yourself. The Teacher Care Crate by the Designer Teacher is such a fun way to treat yourself. And the best part is it's delivered right to your home. Even though it's called Teacher Care Crate, it's full of things that coaches will love. Each month's crate is a different theme, and it includes items to brighten your mood, day, and home. Self-care items include artwork and decor, fun supplies, cute teacher stuff, wearable items, treats, and more. Head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash teachercrate to get your first box. Using this link doesn't add anything to the cost, but it does mean I will receive a small amount from your purchase that helps keep this show going. So head to buzzingwithmissb.com slash teachercrate today. I'm going to make an assumption and you tell me if I'm wrong. You feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know it's true. There are always too many things to do and too little time. If you're like me, your boss will walk down the hallway and shout, go home, Beltran. That's why I am telling everyone about the 40-hour work week with Angela Watson. Angela was a guest on this very podcast back in season one, and she shared her ideas for managing your time, teaching, and stuff to help you make the most of your time at work while making time for home too. But that was just the beginning. In her membership, the 40-hour work week, Angela helps you focus on what matters to have a purposeful and productive workday and then go home. Angela helps teachers find, on average, 11 hours a week that they can take back for themselves while still being a great teacher. The best part is that Angela has a new membership especially for coaches. She partnered with my friend and coffee buddy, Nicole Turner of Simply Coaching, to create the 40-hour work week for coaches. Check it out at buzzingwithmissb.com slash 40-hour week and get your time back. So thank you so much, Haley, for being here today. You are only my second repeat guest in three seasons. So welcome back. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited. I am super excited too, because I'm really looking forward to this topic. Um, I think it's super relevant to people right now. And coaches don't always have all the tools that they need to do this with teachers. So in case anybody missed episode 19 about classroom management, um, and that's, that's the last time that Haley was on the podcast. That was from season one. Could you introduce yourself to our listeners and talk a little bit about who you are, how you ended up where you are now, and what kind of work you're focusing on? Of course. So like Chrissy said, I am Haley. Um, I live in Dallas. So I graduated in 2010 and started teaching. And what I noticed um, my very first year was that I was not prepared for the needs that my kiddos had as far as academics, but also just I was given no training at all in classroom management. I think a professor said, read Harry Wong on the first days of school. And that was like, same advice. 
that was like the only advice we got. And so, um, I will be honest. And like my first couple years I did clip charts and like, I, I didn't know what I was doing. And so I was just trying to have a well-run classroom, which is what I was being expected to have that when my admin walked in, my kids were doing what they needed to be doing in their seats. And so I just started doing what I knew to do, which was clip charts and, um, consequences. And, and then I started kind of hearing a little bit more about like positive behavior management. And then I distinctly remember making my clip chart go up too. Right. So like, With the purple and the, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it didn't just stop at green, but like my mm-hmm. kids could go up too. So I was like this super progressive teacher. And then right. that was kind of like the door that opened for me. And then I started to be a little bit more comfortable talking with my students about their behavior and their feelings and how I was framing it. And then a few years later, I realized that my kids needed actual instruction around Mm -hmm. behavior and what it meant to have self-control. And so when I first started learning about SEL work, it was still really focused on classroom management. So like, Mm -hmm. It was still just focused a lot on like responsibility, respect, and self-control. I would say those were the three big ones that I first started to learn about. And then I started writing curriculum um, for teachers. And I remember my first one was about kindness because I realized that, you know, my kids didn't understand what it meant to be kind. But even that was still kind of about classroom management because I wanted there to be less tattling and I wanted there to be, Mm -hmm. um, you know, kind words. But as I did that, and I was going through my own mental health journey, I just realized that that was still not meeting our kids' needs completely. And so that's when I really just dove, dove, dove headfirst again into just just supporting our kids and seeing them as whole people who had feelings and emotions and frustrations and needs Mm -hmm. that we weren't necessarily meeting. So years ago, I started writing curriculum. Since then, I've been able to still do that and update it. But I think my just knowledge is just, I've just learned so much and I'm a mom now. And so I feel like I have this whole new world of parenting experts that we're learning about that are teaching us how to parent our kids um, with gentleness and respect. But so much of that, I think still applies to the classroom. Mm -hmm. So that's who I am. Um, I ended up here because Chrissy is a wonderful friend. We've known each other since the very first CBT conference. Like, oh my goodness, so many years ago, so um, long ago. It's so crazy. Like seven lives between now and then. <laughs> yeah. um, and I have completely, pretty, pretty much shifted so that everything I do now is focused on something um, behavior related or mm-hmm. social emotional um, learning related. Mm-hmm. Yes. And I love that. It's such an important focus because like you said, I, I wasn't trained in anything either. My mentor teacher held up the Harry Wong book, um, yeah. the first days of school. That's what it was called. And she said, I read this every summer and yeah. this is how I manage my classroom. But I was like, okay. So I read it and I still didn't know anything about managing yeah. the classroom. <laughs> I mean, it was like strategies about, I remember one that kind of bothered me at the time and still bothers me now. It was a like a heart. It was like the teacher's heart. And then you put all the kids' names on little hearts or something. And then it you move them into your heart if they're doing what you want them to do and out of your heart if you want, if they're not doing what you wanted them to do. It's so funny because like that's like okay when we talk about kids. But if you think about it in the context of a marriage, like 
yeah, I don't yeah, love you anymore. That would be, yeah. It's like, that's what you were telling your partner. Like you're moving outside of my heart. Like, right. Um, I, I love you less because you didn't yes. do the dish. Like it's so messed up when you think about it, but like, we will do these things with kids to get them to do what we need them to do. So we Comply. can get a good evaluation and like, mm-hmm. um, but I think it's, I think almost all of us came from a good place of like wanting to do right by kids. We just didn't know. And I feel like mm-hmm. we're so fortunate now that we have so much better understanding of what kids actually need. And, mm-hmm. um, I think the struggle that we have is that it's not always lining up with what admin expects of us and then mm-hmm. pass out of what the district expects of us. And I, I think I'm hoping that it will slowly catch up just like everything else has. Um, so that a teacher really can do what her kids need and that the whole child can be looked at mm-hmm. bigger picture. Um, so yeah, I think we're, we're still on that journey. We are, we're not Big there time. yet. Big time balancing this, the, the time really, cause it's a time investment yeah. with curriculum is was yeah. like my biggest challenge, I think. Well, um, and I think what's hard to, I guess, quantify, but the important thing to remember is that the time up front, it does save, like, it mm-hmm. feels like you're spending all of this right. time, but it truly does balance out. And maybe not even this year, but I think, and mm-hmm. we're going to talk today about a school-wide approach, but when you do focus on it so much, maybe in kindergarten, there is less instruction that's happening, but you'll hopefully find that by third grade, our kids are self-regulating so much more. You know, we're, we're seeing less test anxiety. We're seeing, mm-hmm like higher motivation, that those things do fall into place. And so you can start to see the benefits. You just have to trust, trust it. Cause you don't, even with my own daughter, like if, if she did something I didn't want her to do and I spanked her, she mm-hmm. might not do it again. And I would think like, oh, the spanking worked, but like it didn't really, it just it fixed us. Uh, and so yeah. it can be hard because these quick fixes around behavior sometimes do work in the short term, but what we're seeing now is these huge long-term effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and so how do we back up and slow down and give time for this so that hopefully there is more time later when you need it? That's very true. That's a good point. I mean, think about how often you stop your lesson and address an issue because a student has, you know, whatever issues they have that, you know, that are just bubbling up at that moment or, you know, whatever um, issues between students that they don't know how to deal with. They haven't really, teachers just talk all, all the time about how kids just don't know how to play. They don't know how to interact because they don't have any time to play with each other. So yeah. they just, they just bicker and fight all the time. And yeah. it's, it's not untrue, you know? Uh-huh. So yeah, that's a good point. Um, that, down the road, it'll pay off. But in the moment it can seem like, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm spending all this time on, on this social, emotional awareness and learning. And instead of teaching content, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm spinning my wheels right. here, but really you're going to spin your wheels later if you don't do it up front. Yeah. And I think too, looking at it, and this is where we can talk more about, again, like the school-wide approach, mm-hmm. but looking at it more like proactively and because putting out little fires does take up more time. Oh my gosh. Um, so much time. And so, but for me, even like with the curriculum that I've written and what I tell teachers is like, you can take a dedicated 15 minutes once a week mm-hmm. and then quickly come back to that instead of having to reteach the same lesson six times a day to six different kids, you know? That's so like, true. um, thinking of it as like, how can we front load this and like, and review it in a structured way so that it isn't just constant putting out fires. Cause SEL isn't about putting out fires. It's about like, what are we teaching our kids mm-hmm. in the same way of like, 
like math, like what are we actually teaching them? Mm-hmm. Um, because it is like, an, it's a framework, it's instruction. Because um, you don't teach math, like when they get to an addition, oh, I'm going to teach you addition right now. You know, right. like it's not like you um, in moment. the moment. Right. Yeah it's, you're more, you're more thoughtful than that. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. And that's, that's a good segue. Cause I want to know, um, cause we're talking about SEL for, for everybody, SEL for all, for coaches, for teachers, for kids. Um, can you share about what SEL specifically is like what the definition is? So we have a good understanding of this term. Sure, of course. So I am referencing, um, KSOL, which is what I go back to a lot. Mm-hmm. And it is a framework around social emotional learning. They're one of the very first Um, I mean, they're a company, but one of the first experts to really come out about it and they break it down into five pieces. And this is what I would say most experts would break it down, especially around um, kids in classrooms. Mm -hmm. And so that would be self-management, responsible decision-making, relationship skills, social awareness, and self-awareness. The way I think of it is more big picture, like how are we helping them become mentally and emotionally healthy outside of academics? So social emotional learning is going to be anything that we are doing to help them be confident, kind, um, cooperative, able to manage their own emotions, all of those skills that aren't strictly academic. Um, mm-hmm. That's going to be what social emotional learning is. And so as a grown up, I go throughout my day and if I, don't scream at someone that so like someone like that was learning that I did about how to be how to function in the world. And so um, anything that we're helping our kids with that is not, you know, reading, writing, math, science, social studies, those social skills, bringing your homework would mm-hmm. be considered um, like self-management, responsible decision-making. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does. Okay. <laughs> yes. So it's basically the, the direct teaching of all of these things that we want people to be able to do as they grow and then, <laughs> you know, following up in a way that is appropriate to help them like implement those things. Uh-huh. Yeah. So okay. it's kind of like if you were at a job, like anything that would be like in the HR realm. <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, yes. You know, like, um, my husband's a developer, so he has like the coding that he has to do, but then also like anything that comes to like managing his own time, working mm-hmm. with employees, like that would all fall under the social emotional umbrella. But okay. if you want to learn more, I would definitely recommend CASEL, C-A-S-E-L, or the Committee for Children also has some amazing um, social emotional work that you could look into. Those would be two of like the big voices. Um, and, and later on, I'll share some of my favorite, just like influencers, but as far as like actual companies that are doing this, um, they would be my two recommendations. The funny thing is like, everyone's doing it now, like, right. um, toy company, like it's taken out. It is definitely the buzzword. And I hope what doesn't happen is that we don't pendulum and like, it's the big talk right now, but it's going to go like, I hope that we're creating real systematic change in the way that we interact with each other and with kids and that it's not just like a trend. Um, so time will tell, I guess. That's a really good point. That's what happens so often in education. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So you mentioned some of the benefits of a school-wide approach to SEL, but I would love to know what does it look like if a school like goes all in and really says, okay, this is going to be our thing. So as I was thinking about this podcast, the one thing I kept thinking back, and I know you have a lot of coaches and I probably a lot of administrators, um, what is really, really unfair and tragic that's, that I see happening is that 
this is something else we put on teachers plates, you know, treat your kids with, with fairness, like be kind, expect the best of them. And, and, and that's not happening with teachers. And so the number one thing I would say that a school-wide approach to SEL would be that they are treating their teachers in the same way. And that there is space for feelings. There is space for frustration. If you're in a, a, you know, a faculty meeting that, it's a safe place and that people can share that they're struggling and there's not this, what I see so often is this kind of toxic positivity that happens in schools of like, well, you're here for the kids and you're here, like you come to school for them and they need you. But, but that's not what SEL is going to tell you to go back and teach your kids. Like we're going to go back and teach them like all feelings are good feelings and it's okay to be frustrated and Mm -hmm. you deserve to be heard and you deserve to have boundaries around what feels good and what doesn't feel good. So my number one tip would be that you look at how you're treating teachers and that everything you're asking for them to do for kids, you are doing for them. Um, I think the second piece of that would be in behavior management that there, there are no clip charts. There is not any sort of public shaming. And I think I jumped on the class dojo train and there's, it's nothing against class dojo, but the way I was using it was, just a modified clip chart. It was public. It was still mm-hmm. kids got points, lost points. It was no different than moving their clip up or down. So as a school, rethinking behavior and that we are moving away from public consequences, behavior tracking, and that we're moving more towards looking at the function of the behavior, which special ed teachers have been doing for a very long time. And if you ask any special ed teacher about this, they're going to say like, yeah, like we, we've always used ABC charts to get to the bottom of behavior, but it's really this shift of instead of thinking, oh, they're defiant, oh, they're irresponsible, oh, they're doing this on purpose, looking at the kid as like, what, what unmet need is happening? Like, what are they trying to express that's causing this behavior to come about? Um I feel like I lost my train of thought. School wide. Okay. I, I want to know because you said you mentioned ABC chart. So I want you to talk yeah. more about that. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> in special ed, um, there is a chart that you would use in your tracking behavior, and it would be antecedent behavior consequence. And so when we're looking at things that are happening over and over and over again, so maybe shouting out, you would track like what was the antecedent, what happened before they shouted out. Mm-hmm. And it might, you start to see patterns in their behavior. So you start to see that they're not shouting out to make you mad. They're shouting out because it was during read aloud time and they had to go to the bathroom. And so maybe we can set up a five minute bathroom break. So like you just mm-hmm. start to see those behaviors and start tracking the antecedent. And then when you track the consequence, Sometimes behaviors have a function of teacher attention, peer attention. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe they, the function of the behavior is to get a break because they need to escape. So when you look at the whole picture of what happens before the behavior and after the behavior, you can start to really see what is that child trying to accomplish and how can we help them meet that need in a more productive way? Mm-hmm. That's beautiful. And that's something that a coach can do. They can do that observation and they can say like, this is what we're noticing, you know? Absolutely. And my number one coach or coach, coach for coaches, <laughs> my number one tip for teachers would be to go into the classroom and, and just document for teachers. Cause that is so mm-hmm. overwhelming. If you say document, they're like, when, like, right. when am I supposed to do that? But you can sit in the back of the room 
quietly and just start, make a list of like these 10 things happened that stopped your lesson and then sit with that teacher. Mm -hmm. Like, okay, this, this thing happened, six different kids did the same thing. So that's something that is obviously multiple kids need this. So how can we address this? Um, Yeah. So just take some time, take some data. That's an amazing way for a coach to support a teacher. And then once you have that data, you can go back and look to see what skills need to be taught, Mm -hmm. reinforced, what are some tools the teacher could have available. Um, And, you know, then you'll be able to to give them even better feedback about how to support them. Yeah. Yeah. Cause sometimes it's even just the way the classroom is structured regularly because enough kids are, are having an issue with that structure or lack of structure. Yeah. Um, and if you can say, this is a pattern we're seeing, then we can build a structure to support it. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would be really great. And that's a really good thing for a coach to do. If you're implementing school-wide SEL, um, getting into those classrooms you know, and, th- and what's beautiful about that is you're not telling the teacher, I'm here to watch you. You're telling the teacher, I'm here to see how the kids respond to certain things. And I'm recording some data so we can figure out how to best meet their needs. And that's the truth. You know, I think just shifting from if behavior is happening in the classroom, it's a negative of mm-hmm. the teacher or the student. And like mm-hmm. just seeing it all as this is a need, like, something is lacking in some way, mm-hmm. how can we support that? And it's not a negative against the teacher, like, because there's, there's no way that as a teacher, you can know what every single kid needs every single day, every single year, you know, and it's, it's constantly changing. And so just shifting the way you're looking at it is like the best teachers might not have the most quiet classrooms. Like it's not right a reflection of them. And and that brought me back to um, the, back to the school wide approach. But I think the other thing to just kind of think about as a school is the language that you're using and, and using things like um, big feelings, like Mm -hmm. from, from the youngest group of kids that you have, like helping kids identify their emotions, because that can be so helpful when you have a kiddo who is just at their max. And if they can verbalize to you, I'm frustrated. I'm scared about this thing that's about to happen. Um, I'm jealous because the teacher is working with Everly and I really want her to be working with Evelyn. Like, um, I think just getting kids to label their emotions will make helping them through it so, so, so much easier. And so just having that same language that you're using from pre-K all the way up to fifth grade, mm-hmm. um, a lot of schools have found success with zones of regulation. You know, like I'm in the red zone. I'm at my max. I cannot take any more. I need help. Um, and that's something that a teacher can use, like helping our teachers say, I am green right now. Like I'm good to go. I can take on more. Give me a new student all the way up to I am at red. Like I, I cannot handle anything else. Um, what can we do as like, the school to support you. Mm -hmm. Um, so anytime you can, again, offer what you're offering your students to teachers, it's just going to make for a more positive culture because the, the base of social emotional learning is that kids feel safe. And Mm -hmm. if teachers don't feel safe, it's going to be really hard for them to make kids feel safe. Um, And so how can we, you know, just help teachers and help kids feel safe? 
Yeah, that's a good point. I did a session recently about SEL for coaches to use with teachers, uh-huh. like during PLCs. Uh-huh. Um, and it was, um, it was a session that it was a, a three-part session with myself. Um, Nicole Turner did one session and Gretchen uh, Bridgers did another. And so we each did a session on, on coaching SEL. And um, we talked about what it looks like when a coach uses that with teachers. Mm-hmm. And that was one of the things that I focused on is like during PLC, you have this time to communicate with teachers, you know, during PD, whenever you coach teachers, you have time to talk to them, but do we ever like take a couple minutes and really address that? You know, where are you? How are you feeling? What is going on? Sometimes we don't, because it's so overwhelming. <laughs> and I know that that can be a challenge. Um, if we start down that path, we're like, uh Oh, like, no, we're really far down the path. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and I think as, um, as a teacher too, sometimes you can get in that like hamster on a wheel. Like if you stop, yeah. you just can't get back on. And that used to always happen to me. Like when I would have a, a break, I would get sick because it was like, my body was yes. like pushed to the max. And like, if I stopped for one minute, I was going to get strep throat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think it's the same way. Like when you ask a teacher, how are you doing? It's like, better okay. be ready. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. My uh, husband's the same way, by the way. <laughs> they used to have, this is a crazy aside, but they used to have um, something called the reindeer review that was done in our district. And so I was a teacher in the district at the time that the reindeer, and then later I was a coach and my husband worked at central office and he's a drummer. And so he was um, required <laughs> to participate as a musician, musician in the reindeer review, where it was the superintendent who thought he was a very good singer and they would go from school to school and sing Christmas songs at the end of December. Okay. Like. And so my husband had to be the drummer and there are, there were like, I don't know, between, I want to say 40 some schools in the district that I worked at. So they would go to every single school and at every December after the reindeer review ended, my husband would get sick yeah. because he spent days His body just, like held on. Yes. Yeah. And he was miserable and he loved seeing the kids, you know, dance, but he couldn't see. He was all the way in the back. He was a drummer. Yeah. So he couldn't see anything, but yeah. he liked, you know, hearing that people enjoyed it. But then he was like, this is the worst experience of my life yeah. every year. And at the end of the year, he was always sick for Christmas every year. It was terrible. Funny. Yeah. yeah, it's crazy how that happens. Mm-hmm. That reminded me of something else, though, because uh, right now it's December when mm-hmm. we're chatting. And so Christmas is a big thing and decentering yes. Christmas. And and so that was going to be my other tip about to do to have a school that says they focus on social emotional learning. You really need to be doing your own anti-bias, anti-racist mm-hmm. work, because when you really look at the data and you really understand like what's happening, the educational system in general, but also teachers in general, we just have so many bias in the way that we mm-hmm. might look at one kid doing something is, is going to be different than the way we look at another one. And so um, it's tragic. And I am not the expert. And I just would want to amplify like there are so many black educators, um, and educators of color that I think could speak more to this. But if you are correctly teaching social emotional skills in your school, you also need to be Mm-hmm. actively um, seeking to find your own biases and where are your blind spots and how um, is that impacting your teaching? And are we offering, I don't know, just that you can't pull them apart You and they are so important to go together. And so mm-hmm. um, if you just hear like one thing from me, I would hope that if you're on that path of social emotional learning, that you would very quickly start adding in some anti-bias, anti-racist work mm-hmm. into that because it 
you know, just um, kind of kind of a, a different story. But so I have ADHD. So some of this is a lot of like the self-care tasks, self-regulation that mm-hmm. come with social emotional learning is really hard for me. And so I follow some TikTok, even though I'm like mid thirties, I am on TikTok and <laughs> it's allowed. It's allowed. Yeah, thank you, thank you. <laughs> I follow a lot of people who, who talk about like care tasks in your home. Like how can you make your home more functional for you? And there's been a lot of just things that I've learned even the past month of how more acceptable it is for a white mom to have a messy home than a mom mm-hmm. of color and how that bias comes out. And so I don't know why I'm sharing this, but just, it is, it is in everything. And when we really start talking about SEL, we have to talk about that piece. Um, I totally please, agree. Please. And I can, I'll send Christy some show notes, but. Oh, great. Teach and transform is like my go-to for anti-bias, anti-racist work. Um, I'm going to pause it and pull up the others. Okay. Yes. Teach and transform actually did with that 22 days of um, anti-racist mm-hmm. resources for teachers. They did one of the days for that campaign that I did a few years ago after the oh, shooting yeah. at Walmart um, really close to my house that was racially motivated. Um, uh-huh. and yeah, I totally agree that that does. And the reason that Haley thought about it is because the, 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 the trigger for this was that my district was doing a Christmas program for every single school in the district. Right. And, and I totally agree. I, at the time, this was a while ago, you yeah. know, and it wasn't so much on people's radar. It was a concern to me because we did have kids who didn't celebrate Christmas. They celebrated other things or, or they did not celebrate, you know, any holidays around that time at all. Um, and that was definitely, it was definitely a biased thing that my district was doing. Right. I mean, we um, had, we worked at a school, we partnered with a church, and the church members came into our school and Santa came and gave our kids um, mm-hmm. Christmas gifts. And it was 99% Hispanic. And I think that most of our families did celebrate Christmas. But just looking back, I'm just like, but what about those few that did it? And just like, what an opportunity we missed to not give them an opportunity to learn about something else. Like, mm-hmm. not everyone celebrates Christmas, you know? Right. And so just um, decentering it. Yes, I, t- I agree. With, and, you know, when you're so we had like this Christmas program it was called the Christmas program. And then one year I was required, like I had to write it. <laughs> oh, perfect. I was like, okay, so I wrote it about different holidays, like around uh-huh. that, the, any winter holidays, I made like a Polar Express train that would go from place oh, cool. to place and learn about different holidays. It still was a Christmas, pro- everybody called yeah. it a Christmas program, right? Even though we were talking, learning about, you know, people were acting out things from Kwanzaa and from, you know, Hanukkah and all these different holidays that were happening around this time. Um, but still people call it the Christmas program, right? Yeah. So that's just- well, and I think even on in the teacher world, you'll, you'll still see like Christmas around the world, but like yeah, Hanukkah, Hanukkah is not Jewish Christmas. No. You know? like, oh, is that included uh, in Christmas around the world? I hope not. I mean, yeah. Like I think a lot of teachers will travel to Israel to learn about, you know, but oh, like, golly. um, it's just, that's still centering Christmas. And, yeah, it is. um, even like not every major holiday is celebrated in December, but I mean, this right. could be a whole podcast, but it's just like, yeah, it is <laughs> crazy. How, but like we grew up with Christmas. So for us, mm-hmm. um, and so back to these influencers, their whole thing about decentering Christmas is it's not saying don't talk to your kids about Christmas. It's not right. saying that it's just like, remember that it's not at the center of everyone's world. Right. Um, but the other people I wanted to mention are Tiffany Jewell, and she wrote this book is anti-racist, and oh, she yeah. has um, a book for kids now too. This kids book is anti-racist, 
And then Britt Hawthorne is an incredible anti-bias, anti-racist um, educator. She's a homeschool mom um, and she travels around to schools, just helping them look at their, a lot of times like look at big picture, like policies and are these racist um, are what, you know, are you actively fighting racism in your school? Are you complacent? Like she's incredible. So those would be my three recommendations. If you want to learn more about anti-bias, anti-racism work. Yes. They're all really very good. And I I follow each of those actually, um, each of those people and they are excellent because, um, it's, you know, one thing that I've learned a lot about is an easy way to learn about people who are different from you is just follow them on Instagram. That's what I've learned. Right. And then over time that become you become more and more aware because it's always in your face and you Uh scroll through and you see things that are very different than what you see in your own home. Mm -hmm. And that is so has been so helpful to me, honestly, to learn. It's, and it sounds so ridiculous. It's not because Instagram is just highlights, right? We know it's not real life, but even just having images in your face that are different than what you see in your own family right? It's it's so helpful. Yeah. Well, and for me, like, because I have ADHD, sometimes, um, like a whole book can be really, really overwhelming Mm -hmm. for me. Um, but like Instagram offers you the opportunity to take just a little bit of content and then I can process it because sometimes processing like a whole book, like I said, or even Mm -hmm. like a blog post can just be a lot for me and I get distracted and I get overwhelmed and then I don't take anything in. And so just those little snippets can be, um, so helpful that over time you're like, oh my gosh, I've learned so much, mm-hmm. <laughs> but it's just yes. been a tiny little like, um, morsels, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great because then it's even in, I mean, books are so important, obviously, but it's, it's so different than a book because every day you see a little bit. So it reinforces yes. it all the time yes. instead of a book, you can finish it and put it away and be like, Absolutely. that was good. And then move on. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, so 100%. let's talk a little bit about an SES approach. SEL approach (laughs) that supports all levels at at the school that supports kids, teachers, coaches, and I suppose administration, right? Principals are people too. Yeah. (laughs) And how does that change the school? You talked a little bit about that um, already about some of the benefits, right? About um, increased instructional time, really, we talked about. Um, What are some of the benefits in terms of supporting people's emotional and social wellness? So, There's a lot of like actual data um, that talks about how much more kids are likely to graduate high school, how much more likely they are to have a job, how much more less likely they are to end up in prison. Um, I mean, I don't have, and I do, do you want me to stop and get it? Oh, you can, would you know the name of the, um... yeah, I can get it in 30 seconds. It just, okay, gonna... yeah, go ahead. I can talk okay. for 30 seconds. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, I know that, that years ago we implemented Boys Town as a campus. Yeah. And I think the benefit of Boys Town is that it talked about expli- explicitly teaching social skills. Uh-huh. That was the part that I liked. I didn't do the token economy or any of that, um, you know, points or anything, but I really liked the idea of, you know, you explicitly teach, this is the thing you're going to teach. You're going to teach people how to do it. You know, the little people in your classroom, um, and then you're going to refer back to it. And now we know how to do this. And then you're going to add another skill. And so every week I dedicated a short amount of time to explicitly teaching these social skills. And then a few months into the school year, I kind of faltered. Right. And I could see the difference. It was tremendous. Yeah. um, What the difference was. And so I'm thinking about how that supports kids, how that supports, you know, teachers, obviously teachers are happier when their kids are (laughs) functioning as students, you know, in the classroom. Um, And I'm thinking about 
coaches working with teachers. And if we're addressing that teaching is hard, especially right now, this is a, has been a real challenge for teachers. And, and I hear nothing from coaches, but how difficult it has been to navigate all the teacher feelings this year. Uh Um, if, if we're addressing those feelings, then at least teachers are not, are not saying, well, nobody cares, you know? Um, and they're not going back to their classrooms and taking out frustrations in the classroom, you know, yeah. because it's true. I mean, they're people and they're struggling and we're, we're all struggling. Coaches are struggling. They're spending more time substituting in classrooms sometimes than they are actually coaching um, because teachers are out so much. There's a sub shortage. This is a really difficult year. Um, but I feel like if we can actually really address feelings and, and understand that people bring things with them to work and they're not little robots that just show up at work every day. Yeah. That it can change all levels of our school. Totally. Did you find your research? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So I think the biggest thing that I would share, and this is crazy to me and I've seen it from multiple sites, um, but that the research shows, oh, this is actually from Columbia university, that there is an 11 to one return on your investment financially. So for districts that spend $1 training their teachers in social emotional learning, Uh, there's not a ton of resources you need, but maybe setting up um, like some cool down areas in your school, that $1 will turn into $11 in return as far as like needing in school suspension teachers um, kids being retained. So it's just crazy um, how much research there is that I have not found one piece of research that says it's a waste of time uh, that it or even that it's neutral. Like I, I mm-hmm. have not seen anything but research saying that it does pay off. And then I mentioned this before, but they have found a pretty direct link. Um, and so this study was posted in the American Journal of Public Health. And they said that there are su- statistically significant associations um, between SEL skills in kindergarten all the way up through adulthood. So the research I read was like up to 15 years, you can see the benefits. Um, but wow. they are saying that there's a decreased likelihood of being in public housing, um, being financial assistance, and then all the way to not spending any time in a prison or detention center. So it carries tremendous weight um, in the way that we're setting our students up for success in the future. And I think, again, back to that anti-bias, anti-racist work, um, how much more important is it that it's happening um, in schools where kids are more likely to end up meeting with a, you know, a police officer just because of the bias that our society has. And so how much more important is it that we are offering kids this, these tools that so clearly set them up for success. Um, It's just crazy to me how, you know, in teaching, like you can find research that says guided reading is the best. You can find research that says science of reading is the best. You can find research that says Montessori is best, but like SEL is something that there is no research that says it doesn't work um, Mm -hmm. or that you should do this instead. And so that's just crazy to me. Wow. That's amazing. And that's interesting because you, that means that even schools that don't implement it well are still getting a return on their investment. That's what that yes, means to me. Totally. hundred totally, percent. Um, and that it's not an all or nothing. Like you don't right. all have to do like similar with parenting. You know, I think about, I'm not going to be a perfect parent every day, but there's still benefits to 
when I do really nail it, you know, right. or like just those little, <laughs> thank like, goodness, smoking. but like, if it's like a number line, like we, you might not get to 100, but you might get like, you might hop one number and like those small changes make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's a really good point. How interesting. Um, so what are the basic tenets of SEL? If we're thinking about using it in the classroom, like with teachers using it with their kids, what are the basic things that need to be implemented? Okie dokie. So Um, If we're first going to talk about like responsible decision making, we'll just start there. Um, That would be helping kids be responsible. But I think even that reframing, like if you're going to have this classroom that's focused on student social and emotional growth, like we have to think about is homework best for kids. And I think when you talk about responsibility, immediately my brain goes to completing my work and homework Mm -hmm. and bringing your backpack. Um, But kind of moving away from that and more thinking like, how are we teaching them to be responsible for one, what they should be responsible for, which should be their own bodies, Mm -hmm. their own choices, things that are truly within their control. And I really tried to focus on the six, seven hours that they were with me. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think it's fair to reward or give consequences based on things that happen outside of the classroom because you just have you just have no control over that. And yes, of course we want our kids to be able to be successful on their own. And I'm not saying that's not important. What I am saying is that a seven, eight, nine-year-old do not have the ability. And like, it's just so unfair to put expectations. So when we're talking about responsible decision-making, think about how can I help them be responsible within my classroom Monday through Friday. Um, and don't worry about the stuff that you can't control. And so setting them up for success with things like timers to finish their work, um, checklists to know what's expected of them, teaching them that they're responsible for their own bodies. Like you are responsible to keep your body safe. Um, she is responsible to keep her body safe. Mm -hmm. And so instead of you safe hands, like teach them like, no, you are responsible for your body, like your arms, your legs, those are yours. You need to take good care of them. You need to keep them safe. Um, So that would be the first tenant. What questions do you have about um, responsible decision-making? I'm thinking about, yeah, about how teachers implement that as kids. So like, how does that grow with kids? You know, um, if they start out in kindergarten with, with like what you're talking about, how does that look as teachers kind of build on that throughout the grade levels? So I think it would be maybe having a consistent task management system mm-hmm. um, to help kids know like what's expected of them. And so maybe in kindergarten, they have a chart that has two steps all the way up, you know, to fifth grade, maybe they're the task that they're responsible for is nine at one time before they meet with the teacher. But, um, so you can kind of take one tool and then make it bigger Mm -hmm. throughout the grade. Um, I'm trying to think of, and you know, things like class jobs would come into responsible decision-making and looking at the school as a whole. And so, instead of giving a golden trophy to the class that has the cleanest table, like let's frame it as like, this is our classroom. This is our school. We are all responsible for keeping it clean. We are all going to clean it, Mm -hmm. you know? And so we're all going to clean the tables after lunch. Um, This is our school. Like we're going to keep the garden well tended. Like we're not going to pull up the grass, Um, helping kids see. And that, that kind of goes into the whole like Montessori responsibility piece, but just, Mm -hmm 
helping kids take responsibility and, and less uh, rewards and consequences around that, but more like reading some read alouds around what does it mean to be responsible and and how does it feel when we're responsible? How does it feel when you walk into your classroom and it's nice and neat? Does that mm-hmm. feel good or does that make you feel bad? And what about when you walk in and your desk feels your desk is super, super messy. For me, my stomach feels kind of sick. Like I, I can feel those knots in my tummy when things are messy because I don't, I can't find what I need. Mm-hmm. And so helping them identify that intrinsic motivation around being responsible for themselves, the school building, um, all of those things I think would be, that's something that you could easily implement school-wide. Yeah. I love those ideas. Um, So the next one is going to be relationship skills, which is going to go back to, you know, apologizing is a huge one. Um, And I'm not saying that you should teach your kids to force apologize. I was wondering if you were going to, yeah. Um, And I cringe and we're like at the playground and someone hits my daughter and they're like, say you're sorry. And it's like, Mm -hmm. neither of them have any concept of what that means. Uh But the language I like to use is how can we make it better? So Mm -hmm. you made a choice that hurt someone. How can we make it better? you broke their pencil. How can we make it better? We could tape it up, you know, like you, they're feeling sad. Like how can we make it better? We could write him a card. Mm-hmm. So those relationship skills are going to be things like conflict resolution, apologizing, forgiving, helping kids learn to compromise. And so we swore by rock, paper, scissors in my classroom. <laughs> uh, like that's how they solve problems. Like you get a turn, I get a turn. We're, if we don't, we can't figure it out. We're going to use rock, paper, scissors. And that is such an easy thing to implement across the board. Like every kid in this school, if you're having a conflict, can it be solved with rock, paper, scissors? I love like it's that. Simple, oh but gosh. like, that's such a powerful tool that kids can use to negotiate mm-hmm. um, and come to compromises. I'm trying to think of other examples of relationship skills, but those to me are a little bit different than social awareness. Relationship skills is going to be kind of those things that like you would go to marriage counseling for um, and communication, like mm-hmm. helping kids say how they feel. And so again, that goes back to that school language of mm-hmm. the frame we always used when, when you blank, I feel blank. So please blank. Mm-hmm. Like when you tap my chair I feel annoyed and I can't work. So please stop tapping my chair. So like those sentence frames, pre-K can use it all the way up through fifth grade. Um, And those things will become second nature, just like they have for, you know, my husband and I have been in therapy or I've been in therapy independently. And those um, frameworks that we use can start to become second nature that now they're a tool that we have in my toolbox to help navigate when my teacher isn't right there. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. For, I love that actually. I may um, use it on my my husband. <laughs> <laughs> um, social awareness is kind of the same thing, but it's just that's going to be where we're really helping kids develop empathy and understand compassion and start to notice how other people are feeling when I make certain decisions. And again, that goes back to helping kids identify their big feelings so that they can look around and see, oh, she looks disappointed. Mm-hmm. I know what it feels like to be disappointed. Um, so having, you know, maybe read aloud said every grade reads, um, or maybe kinder first and second read the same read aloud and third, fourth and fifth read this so that you have those shared experiences to go back to, to help build empathy. And remember when we, um, you know, last year you read that book, 
um, the last stop at Market Street. Like, let's talk about how that character felt, um, just helping kids understand how other people are feeling and, and, and what it means um, to function together in a group. Mm-hmm. That's my favorite one to teach. Um, I could totally get rid of like responsibility. I'm like, I, cause, but I'm all about, if we just want to talk about like <laughs> big feelings all day long, that's what we do. Um, self-awareness is going to be what it sounds like being self-aware, um, which to me kind of has two pieces. The first piece is like self-control. Uh, oh wait, no, 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 no. I got it wrong. Cause that's self-management. See, this mm-hmm. can be kind of tricky. And the whole thing is like, there's five frame, the framework has five of them, but like they all kind of go together. Yeah. they overlap. Um, so self-awareness, I was wrong, would be, that's where kids understand like their strengths and their weaknesses. And so mm-hmm. helping students set goals um, and just being mindful of like who they are as a person. And these are the things that I'm really good at. These are the things I need help with. Um, but the power that can come with that when students can identify, I need help with this instead of. I'm great at school and then the kids who mm-hmm. feel like they're not great at school, you know, because it can start to feel very black and white for these are the kids that school comes easy for. These are the right. kids that school's hard for, but helping kids see that like, no, there's some things that you're really, really good at. And there's some things that you struggle with. And it's the same thing with teachers and coaches, like administrators look at teachers mm-hmm. instead of framing it as you're a great teacher, you're a teacher of the year, but like, no, you're amazing at building relationships with your kids. You are not great at answering emails. Um, <laughs> that was me. And like, neither are a character flaw, you know, like neither of them are, um, make me better or worse. They just make me different. So helping mm-hmm. kids become aware of who they are, um, you know, how are they feeling at the moment? And then big picture, who am I? What am I good at? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? And what's my story? And then the last one is what I got confused on and that self-management and that comes into self-control and, um, thinking about a school-wide approach, the the big tip I would have for this would be not expecting kids to regulate on their own, but meeting them where they're at. And when they're having those big feelings, when we're having meltdowns in the classroom, um, ignoring them does not help them regulate at all. Meeting them in that moment and saying, I know you're really disappointed. I get it. I've been disappointed before. Would it be okay if I sit with you? And that's where a coach can come in. You know, the teacher, if there's six kids having a meltdown, she cannot self-regulate with six of them. Right. Hopefully, though, there's enough when, when there's enough buy-in from the school community, a teacher doesn't have to feel embarrassed like she's going to get in trouble asking for help. But instead, it can be, I have this kid that's really struggling. Can someone come in and help mm-hmm. them? Or even better would be one of my students is having a hard time can you come in and read a book with my kids so I can be with the student who's struggling? I think that's, that's the ultimate goal that the relationships in the classroom are so strong and that teachers are trusted enough to have these relationships with kids. Support staff can come in and keep going with whatever is happening so that the teacher can really support the student in that really, really hard moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point because you want that teacher to be the support for the kid as much as possible because they're the right. ones there in the room. Yeah, that's they're really the that's where the safety is going to come. And mm-hmm. um, and I, I think there's obviously a benefit to having other grownups. And what I don't think effect, is effective is if it's a different grown up every time. And yeah. if it's a kiddo that's having 
you know, that's struggling frequently, then maybe it does make sense for it to be a counselor or something. But if we want students to develop strong relationships with their teachers, which we know greatly impacts academic achievement, then we as coaches and administrators need to support that. Mm -hmm. And that means coming in and helping, you know, because the teacher can't do all of it by themselves. Right. That's a good point. So in thinking about that, I mean, that's what what teachers are trying to implement in their classrooms. And those are these basic principles. So then what are some strategies that coaches can use during PD or PLC to support teachers in doing those things? I think you mentioned earlier, like a check-in you talked about, like with, you know, um, using the zones of what is it regulation? Called? Yes. Zones of regulation to have a check-in. And that's something that I think a, a coach could do with teachers, um, to have them not necessarily verbalize it to everybody else, but even just for them to check in with themselves and kind of be aware. Totally. Um, and I think in, uh, it's harder for me to think about it in whole group in PLC, yeah. but with, like those individual check-ins with teachers, but also like, um, starting to get to the bottom of teacher triggers and like, um, you know, let's think about like, I am sure a lot of your coaching comes down to teacher relationships. Like they're having a hard time playing as a team or so-and-so isn't pulling their weight, whatever. So like pulling that back and just asking the teacher, like, how did that make you feel when that happened? Like, how are you feeling? Like you're feeling invalidated. I get it. I would feel that way too. So starting to have that language with teachers around them feeling safe, expressing how they feel. Um, You don't have to agree. Like when my daughter is furious because I won't put sprinkles on her chicken nuggets. Like I don't (laughs) agree that that's infuriating, but I can be with her there. Mm -hmm. And so it's the coach, like you don't have to agree to validate how those teachers are feeling. Um, So I would think that would be one thing you could do. And that will just strengthen your relationship and then hopefully when they're having an academic need and they're like, I don't know how to teach this, you have created a safe place that they can come to you and say, I don't know how to teach this without fear of mm-hmm. getting in trouble or like being considered, you know, the bad teacher. Because for me, I didn't want to ask questions because if I asked a question that meant I didn't know it and I was supposed to know right. it. Right. <laughs> and so then I'm going to go and do it wrong because I don't know how to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it but at least nobody knows trying to frame everything around like does this make someone feel closer to me does this strengthen our relationship or does this make it harder for them to feel closer to me and that's I think kind of at the core of social emotional learning it's getting kids to it's getting teachers to focus on those relationships um and with coaches focusing on their relationships with teachers Mm -hmm. because that's where you're going to get the most bang for your buck that's true. And coaches can give the perspective and it's difficult because sometimes teachers look at coaches and they're like, well, you don't know you're not in the classroom. But I remember one time I was giving a workshop and I said, remember when we talked about this two weeks ago and we had done a whole thing, like a whole activity, the teachers were the learners, you know, I modeled the lesson and like three people were like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. I said, we did this, this, and this, this is what we did with it. They were like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never done that. I said, can you flip back in your binder to the section that I, that I gave you? And they were like, oh my gosh, I have never seen this before. And I was like, well, you did it. So you have seen it. So but yeah. isn't it funny how the next time you ask your kids yeah. if they remember doing something and they're like, no, no, we never did that. You know, it might be good to have a little patience with them because even adults yeah. forget that we've done things. Absolutely. And they were like, that empathy piece. Yeah. 100% that empathy piece of um, I've been where you are kind Mm -hmm. of situation. And like when we're frustrated because a kid forgot uh, 
their jacket at recess. Like, have you ever forgotten your leftovers at Chili's? You know? <laughs> oh my like, gosh, I've done that and it's the worst. hundred times and it's like, yeah. So can you think of any special considerations that coaches need to be aware of when they're using SEL with teachers, when they're actively, not so much like teaching them how to teach it to students, but when they are trying to engage with teachers in this way, because- I mean, they're adults, right? So coaches yeah. are talking think, to adults. I think it's important to not be condescending and to just be genuine because if you're going to come at a teacher, like, well, how are you feeling? But like, uh-huh. you don't like that teacher. Like, you don't really care. I think that that can come across as like, as worse. And so that would be my number one thing would just be like, be genuine, be real. Um, if you actively do not like a teacher, and I'm sure that that happens sometimes, like maybe don't talk like, Choose conversations that you can be a real, genuine person with them. Um, and that because people, people know, like you just know. And so don't be condescending. Don't infant, infantise, like, um, in, infanticize. Yeah. Like yeah. don't like no, baby. Them child, uh-huh. uh, don't right. baby them. Like mm-hmm. just be real. And, and I think also, and, and this would go for our teachers too, but like be aware of like, trying to talk about someone's trauma. Like that is not our place. Like we are not therapists. Um, I was a teacher, you are a coach. And so it's not appropriate to say like, how do you think, you know, it sounds to me like maybe you're bringing some, some baggage from home. Or like, it sounds like you're going through some stuff at home. Like maybe that's impacting your work. Like um, that's not our role. And so like, just don't seem to talk about someone's trauma. Don't, try to bring it out. Like, yeah. Yeah. I think if they put it on the table and they say, well, this is really impacting me and I'm having trouble with this, then you can empathize with that. But then if you, you know, if you're, and I think you can say, Oh, thank you for letting me know. Like, how can I support you? But that's different than like, well, I heard heard you're going through some marriage problems. So like, like, like that, but I think it gets tricky when you, when you are talking about emotions and like those lines can get really blurred. So just being very, very mindful mm-hmm. of the things that you're saying and that we're not ever crossing a line into someone's, I don't know. Personal but, and, stuff and, that they're not yeah, putting and out I think there. That can be, it's very important for teachers to know too, like helping a kid self-regulate is not asking them to talk about their trauma. Like it's sitting with them, like, I know you're really upset. Like I'm here for you. That is very different than what's going on. Is something happened at home that's making you feel this way? Like, and I struggled with that a little bit of like wanting to be their therapist. That's not what this is. Like this is being um, their teacher and like, and helping them in those challenging moments, but there's still clear boundaries. And it's mm-hmm. still as the teacher being able to say, that's not what I went to school for. Like, that's not my gifting. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm going to lean on the guidance counselor, whoever, to talk, to support them, um, with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, you do want to create the environment where they can tell you if something is impacting them, but then you, that is the opportunity you have to seek out additional support for that child or that yeah. teacher if they need yeah. to be asking, I guess. So where can coaches and teachers go if they want to learn more? And you already mentioned two places. Are those the best two places or is there anywhere else that you would want to share? I think if you want to get into like the nitty gritty of like the research behind it, that's where I would go. If you just okay. want to learn more about, this in general, um, Dr. Becky, she has a podcast called good inside and she's a parenting influencer, but her stuff is incredible. And she mostly talks to parents of elementary kids. 
So I think it would all be very, very applicable to Mm -hmm. teachers as well. So she would be my number one, like influencer to, to learn more from. Um, as far as like popular teacher bloggers, um, I think you're going to start to see a lot more of this pop up just across the board. Um, I think we're all trying to understand how hard it is. I don't have any huge recommendations outside of the two websites I mentioned. Um, Dr. Beppe, Mr. Chaz is also really good. Oh, he's, yes, he's great. He's a teacher. So he's in the classroom and he's constantly going through like role play of like this, this is what mm-hmm. this child said. This is how I'm going to engage with it. Like this week he had about um, Santa and how do we mm-hmm. honor that some kids believe in Santa and some kids don't so that mm-hmm. both kids feel like their belief systems are valued. No one is like being disrespected. No one's losing the magic of Christmas. And so he's constantly just posting super relevant um, content around just conversations that come up in the classroom and at home. Mm-hmm. I'm trying to think really if there's good. any other, um, as far as books, like the whole brain child is old, but I think it still has some really good stuff in it. Um, conscious discipline. I think it's, it's a, it's a framework. It's something that like your school could purchase, but it's also a book that I think could be beneficial for teachers. If you're a reader mm-hmm. and do you want to pause and come up with a few more books? Okay. So um, you're going to share some titles with us. Yeah. So there's okay. a ton. If you like just get on Amazon, there's a ton. And so I, I mentioned already conscious discipline mm-hmm. and the whole brain child um, social emotional learning and the brain I have not read, but it looks super interesting. It's strategies to help your students thrive. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely recommend that one. And then kind of a little bit off topic, but I think anything Brene Brown writes is going to be like so powerful. Um, she, I feel like it's just an expert in this field and not necessarily directed towards kids, but especially when it comes to coaches, Right. She has Dare to Lead and she has a few other books that I think um, she's never come out as like, I am a social emotional learning author, but like everything she says is just so much about knowing who you are, knowing who the people around you are and just kind of being the best version of yourself. So I think anything she writes would be hugely helpful um, to teachers and especially to coaches. Yeah. I like that. She talks a lot about how we communicate. I read uh, Daring Greatly. Yes. It was an audio book that I read um, like a year or two ago. I probably should read it again. It was one of those that was just like lots of stuff, you know, like a collection of lots of things. So you Uh really have to read it more than once. Um, But it talked a lot about how we communicate and how we represent ourselves honestly. um, And like how you show up as your real true self and helping people do that, you know, just in the way that we communicate with them, that would be a great one to read, um, to think about the way that we interact because you talked a lot about, um, you know, we, sometimes we say we value something, but then we act in a way that does not show that we value that thing. And then that's, that's like inconsistent. And then people don't trust us anymore. So she talked about building trust through doing those things, which is a really important thing to do for SEL. So totally hundred percent. Um, and I think this is one of those things that like a lot of the books that you're going to read are still going to be pretty new. Um, and so that's why I did recommend like the whole brain child and, oh, there's also the explosive child. That's really good. Um, and then how to talk so kids will listen. And there's also that one. Yeah, how to talk like three times. They're like older. And so they're not going to be as like full of buzzwords, but it's just like good quality research because so Mm -hmm. much of what's coming out right now is just very trendy. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I can't like put my stamp of approval on it, but those books have been around for a very long time and I think have helped parents. Um, And actually we were in play therapy for just a couple of weeks. So just one little thing. And uh, her play therapist recommended those books. Okay. 
So I think those are both excellent. And I would recommend for teachers um, to ask your guidance counselor because they probably Mm -hmm. have some and they probably have some really great strategies for you. Um, And my hope would be that you could learn from Instagram so that you don't have to add more to your plate. (laughs) So (laughs) it is a good place. Yes. Those small, um, small snippets. And I would hope that as a coach that you would um, think about how to make this how can, how can SEL take something off of their plate and not put more on their plate? That's a really great way to approach this. Um, and I think that having a school-wide approach, it will require learning. And mm-hmm. so that can feel like another thing on their plate, but in the long run, it'll make their plate so much more manageable um, because and, everybody pitches in and it'll work well if everybody yeah. does it. And I think you mentioned like the school-wide approach. The one other like caveat, I, there's these TikToks that are going around and it's, uh, teachers, like when my kid comes back from the principal and they have like a lollipop oh, yeah. and a toy. And like, I think to me, what's happening is that maybe the admins are getting on board and they have not done a good job explaining, like they're coming to me to self-regulate. And so there's this disconnect behind, like it, it can't be that one teacher is doing concept. Like we all need to be on the same page. We all need to understand that this is tricky. This is hard. Um, and I, to me, what I'm hearing from the frustration from teachers is that I'm sending this kid to you for help and you're helping them, but I need help and you're not helping me. And so that would just be my caveat that like, as we're offering these safe spaces for kids that we are offering them for teachers, um, cause that's where you're going to get the buy-in and that's where teachers are going to believe you and, and want to give it back to their kids so that we can kind of break some of that resentment that I've just seen come up a lot lately. That's true. If they see it modeled in the way that we interact with them, then they'll believe that it works because they will have benefited from it. Yeah. But if they only see it working with kids and then we still treat them like, like the, the way I, they currently are treated. Yeah. Um, I'm not going to like give any names or anything, but I have known of a principal that I think was very on board with like uh, probably like gentle parenting and stuff, but like, but she was a bully, you know? And so it's, it's really hard to like, um, yeah. Just, just be real and like treat everyone with respect and respond and kindness. And like, um, it's not a buzzword. It's not something trendy. It's not the cool new thing. It's like, it's, it's being a good person and helping our kids be good people. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what SEL comes down to. And so be a good person. <laughs> I love that. So what's the first thing a coach should do tomorrow to support teachers? Like if they want to start out, even whether the school has implemented SEL or not, what can a coach do to start? Um, write a kind note to each teacher about like one thing that you see them doing really, really well. Wow. Um, I think that would be, it would build a relationship. It would hopefully improve their confidence. Um, it would start to build that trust. Um, that would be what I would suggest you do tomorrow. I love that. And you could do that and, no matter what your situation. <laughs> totally. And if you can't do it for everyone, choose the teachers that are struggling. Mm-hmm. Um, choose the ones that if you have a hard time writing them a note, like definitely do it for them. Oh my gosh. Um, such a good point. You really have to think about it. Think about it. It's probably the ones that's like easy for you. They're probably getting it from other people. Um, <laughs> and just like, and think about that teacher of like, they have an unmet need, like what, um, you know, maybe bring them a Starbucks this week or something. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's true. I love that too. That's great. So how can people find you online or in the real world? If you want to be found in the um, real world, <laughs> if you want to come to Dallas, that would be my number one choice. I would love to go get, I have this lady down the street who makes these like incredible cheese boards. And so anytime oh that wants, it's like, you want to come to my house, I'll get a cheese board. That'd be the number one way to come find me. <laughs> um, 
I got changed by Instagram, but right now it's Haley M. O'Connor because Haley O'Connor was a photographer. It's very rude to have oh. the same thing with me. Um, my blog is teachingwithhaley.com and I run a Facebook group called Teaching with Haley and Friends. Um, it is not super active, so come join our group and let's we can all learn together. And the focus of it is definitely on social emotional learning. And so if you want to meet teachers who are on this journey with you, that would be a great place to start. Um, and then you can always email me at Haley M as in mouse O'Connor at gmail.com. That's awesome. Thank you. And so I did much. have a podcast. There are eight episodes out, but a podcast is not ideal for someone with ADHD and it was too much work for me. So I did eight episodes. They're pretty good, but you probably will not be getting ninth episode. But if you're interested in my podcast, it's also teaching with Haley. That's great. Yeah. They can binge on eight episodes. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Learn everything you need to know. <laughs> That's great. All right. Thank you so much for being here today, of Haley. Course. I appreciate it's you wonderful. taking time. I know you're busy. You're a busy mama. You're a busy, um, you Happy know, to do it. Oh, thank you so much. All right. Um, okay, okay, coaches. So our, uh, my next episode is, is, uh, coming up next week, episode 92. And, um, we are going to be chatting all about, Oh, a lot. Uh, we're moving next month is going to be all about moving um, from virtual to in-person learning, because even though that happened a while ago, we're still figuring it out. <laughs> Me and, too. Yeah, right. It's it's a it's a rough go of it. Right. But we learned a lot of things. We have tried a lot of tools over the last two years and we can implement those in the classroom if we are really thoughtful about the lessons that we've learned from that. So that's what we're going to talk about all this next month. Um, and so I want you to think about as you're implementing SEL in your school, as you're working with teachers, you know, think about what their needs are. Think about how you can be supportive. I also have a resource that you can check out um, on my TPT store, and that will be posted in the show notes. It's SEL strategies that you can use during PLC. Nothing that you would necessarily like post for teachers to see each other's stuff or, you know, responses, but things that you can use to help teachers be thoughtful about how they're feeling about things, how they're working through things um, that they can write about and reflect on. And you can build in a little bit of time during PLC and PD to do that. So that's, uh, that's what we're going to work on. And I want you to make sure that you have the tools that you need. So check it out if you need to. SEL for coaches. And um, I will see you next week. Happy coaching. Thank you for listening to Buzzing with Miss B, the coaching podcast. Want more coaching ideas? Check me out at buzzingwithmissb.com and on Instagram at buzzingwithmissb. If you love the show, share it with a coach who would love it too. Or leave me a review on iTunes. It's free and it helps others find this show. Happy coaching.